I've just had uh, 10,000 steps come up on my Fitbit. <laughs> that's, that's how long the podcast... If anyone says how long the podcast, 10,000 steps. Hi, my name's Emily Dean, and this is Walking the Dog. It's a brand new series, and I wanted to kick off with someone who felt properly worth the wait. So I won't lie, I pulled a few strings close to home, and I'm delighted to say my guest is comic, and let's face it, national treasure, the very wonderful Frank Skinner. Some of you may know already I'm Frank's co-host on his Absolute Radio show, so I wasn't sure how he'd feel about guesting on this podcast. Would it be a cute little spin-off, or would it be like those Friends episodes in London and Let's Never Speak of This Again? But it genuinely was one of the most enjoyable ones that I've ever done. And yes, okay, Frank, the funniest too. We walked for hours, partly because he's brilliant company, but mainly because he has no sense of direction. Frank doesn't actually have a dog himself, so we took out Peanut, a terrier cross, who was rehomed by the Dogs Trust a few years ago, which is a brilliant charity. So if you want to find out more about adopting, please do go to dogstrust.org.uk. And also, I wanted to mention, Frank has written a play, which will be at the Edinburgh Festival. It's called Nina's Got News, and it'll be on every day at 2.50pm at the Pleasance Dome. And that's throughout August, and for more info, you can go to edfringe.com. Oh, and please remember to subscribe and rate and review on iTunes, because I'll love you if you do. That's enough of me. Here's Frankie. Frank's already with Peanut. Well, that's, uh, that's the idea, isn't it? Frank, I'm really impressed that you're just in, throwing yourself into this immediately. And you've got the lead. Well, I always like to take the lead. I should say, I haven't even started the podcast yet. <laughs> but uh, this is Walking the Dog. And I'm Emily Dean. And... I'm really excited to say this because I don't I didn't actually think I would ever say this but I'm with Frank Skinner come on Frank because we do the faux hello like you do on okay. the chat hello. show See, this is always <laughs> a bit awkward um, when you when you're being interviewed by someone you know very well I always I've had David Baddiel on things I did, had him on the chat show and he came on and I shook his hand <laughs> I mean I've been talking to him for an hour backstage and you don't normally do that if you're around someone's house and they go to the toilet. When they come back in, uh, you, you don't shake their hand like you haven't seen them for ages. I know, but it is that strange faux greeting at the start, which is, I always compare to the first 10 minutes at a swingers party. Yes, well, I'm, <laughs> yes, I, I don't know what that's like. Okay. But uh, I'm hoping that's not to, I thought there'd be a level of informality at a swingers <laughs> party, but that, you could be wrong. Wouldn't it be typical if it was actually like they really do stand on ceremony? <laughs> At the swingers party, there's a very strict format of who speaks first, etc. We should explain we're with Peanuts, because you don't have a dog, Frank. No, I don't have a dog, so I've borrowed a dog um, from for the day. And shall I tell you a bit about Peanuts' backstory? Yes. So, Peanut is three. It all goes a bit Miss World, this, this section, doesn't it? Okay, so Peanuts, 21 in dog years. Yeah, 21 in dog years. And I think the owner's... Had him for a day. Her, and, I think. Oh, her, yes. Had her for a day. And then they decided puppies are quite a handful and we don't like this. Yeah. So... I don't feel in a position to condemn them, seeing as I'm slightly stressful about having her for 45 minutes. Are you? Well, I, 
I used to love dogs. I used to regard myself as a dog person. But uh, I moved to North London, um, which is... Which is where we are now, we should yes, say. We're, we're actually on uh, Hampstead Heath. And people around here don't own dogs the way we used to own dogs. For a start off, the dogs we had, I never had a lead until the very late years of dog owning. We just let them out and they ran in packs locally. You never see a pack of dogs around here. No. And no one bought dog food. So what did they eat? Well, they ate scraps. From your meals? I remember the butcher saying to me, your dog sits outside our shop every day, barking until I give it a bone. Uh, that was the only way it got fed. <laughs> well, no, it got fed. We'd throw scraps. When I first left home, it uh, was the first time I'd lived without a dog. Yeah. And I was sitting in this bed seat and I saw something glistening. And I thought, what is that? And it was a piece of bacon rind. And I'd, I'd been eating bacon and I'd instinctively just thrown the rind <laughs> over my shoulder. In our house, it wouldn't have hit the floor. The dog would have plucked it out of the air. Sorry, have we finished peanut store? No. Well, what tends to happen is, as in life, I open a lot of tabs on my browser, as yes. you know. Yes, and then I dart around. I'm a terrible meanderer, so don't let me take no, you off me your, also. Off your um, route. Tell me about Shep and Cal, because those were your two dogs. And we should say, in case anyone doesn't know, you, you were, it's not actually Birmingham, is it? It's, about, it's a few miles outside Birmingham where you grew up. No, it was, it was um, what they called the black country because it was covered in soot as a result of the Industrial Revolution, basically. But uh, first dog I had was a dog called Tiny. And there are very few photographs of me as a child because, um, well, we didn't have a camera. <laughs> right. Uh, everyone now has a camera in their pocket. A camera then was a luxury item. Oh, thank um, look. There's so a little... This is the first. Uh, uh, so, Peanut has met a, a, a dachshund. Yeah. Lovely coat. And they're doing that thing of, are they friendly or will they be? Yeah, he's got his heckles up. <laughs> oh, I oh, really? Okay, well, we'll move is on. Is he a puppy? No, he's all right. He's, um... He just does it to every single dog, but... Yes. <laughs> oh, does he? Okay, I think... He we've... seems more interested in me than Peanut. <laughs> I don't think there's... Uh, perhaps he's got a uh, peanut allergy. Oh, Frank. <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, it's so refreshing to be able to do a joke about a peanut allergy. My son goes to... Uh, there's a big sign outside my son's school saying, this is a not-free school. I mean, it's... It's the biggest... If I walked in there with an armour light, <laughs> I think people would say, morning, Frank. If I walked in there with a packet of uh, peanuts, I think I'd be wrestled to the ground. We're going to go back to Shep and Cow, but I've got a theory about why you're, you're not a huge dog lover, let's say. And I think that's because you always talk about your comedy light coming on. So if you're your anecdote light, as it were. So if you're telling an anecdote, you're telling a story. And dogs just interrupt that all the time yes. when you're on a walk. Yes, I couldn't live with that. I also think, don't a lot of men get dogs so that women will speak to them in public parks? Well, there's a man there now. And the I'm, dog, I'm beyond that. Yeah. I also hate this new trend for the extending lead. Oh, I've got when one When people those. say, I'm taking the dog for a walk, then they stand still for 10 minutes while the dog covers a sort of 12-mile radius. Yeah, so we need to go back to Birmingham. Um, so Tiny was my first dog. Yeah, Tiny! Dog. He was a black and white mongrel. And then my brother's girlfriend bought him. She was called Carol. So she bought him a whippet called Cal, which was what he used to call her. 
So she bought him a, a whippet with the same name as her. That's a sort of an aide de memoir. <laughs> and then... Um, Terrible if they break up, though. Well, it would have had to have been renamed. Um, but Tiny, the original dog, who we'd had for years, um, pined, pined away when the new dog arrived. And patches of fur started falling off him. And he died. And I think he literally died of, a, of jealousy. <laughs> Oh, Peanut's found something on the ground. Peanut needs a bathroom break, maybe, or just having a I little sniff. I always imagine if you're on Hampstead Heath with a dog and it starts sniffing like this in the undergrowth, there'll almost certainly be a corpse. <laughs> I've seen so many dramas start like this. This, this does look like the beginning of an ITV oh, drama, doesn't it? Purple hands sticking out the soil. <laughs> so Tiny died, Cal lived on, and... Uh, I don't remember his demise, but then the, the, the main, the, the, the third time lucky, I really wanted a dog when I was about 12, and they did got you? me a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. And where did they get him? The man um, brought him over, I remember. He was from Burntwood in Staffordshire. And uh, they, they weren't cool then. I d people, when I first moved to London in 91, people hadn't even heard of them. I'd say I had a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, they wouldn't even know what they were. And then they became a sort of thing you see hipsters taking for a yeah. walk. But his pedigree had got all the names of his family were things like Midnight Madness and Berserk <laughs> and stuff like that. And he was, um, it, when people came to the house, he would run round and round their feet very, I mean, he'd become a blur, shooting urine as he went round. So he formed a sort of circle. It was like witchcraft. He formed a circle <laughs> of urine. And he would, he'd also snap at their shoelaces. He, he yeah. could often undo two shoelaces in a circuit. <laughs> and every now and again, he'd leap up and, and bite at their fingertips. So it stopped people coming <laughs> to the house. Literally, it did. Do you think that's what, that's what sort of has, that memory has just lodged in your mind and you think, yeah, I've been looking for something to stop people coming to the house ever since. What's interesting is when you talk about your dogs, which you do sometimes on the radio show and stuff that we do together, and you tell all these sort of funny stories about them, but it, it has always really struck me that, yeah, the dogs weren't like dogs seem to be now, our perception of dogs, being part of the family and just this sense of them, yeah, just doing... I think of them as like friends with benefit in your arrangement well they, they were um they were more like lodgers than members yeah. of the family i mean a lot of people had kennels and so the dogs you know slept outside i don't know what's happened to the kennel now that i mean that small wooden house like snoopy used to lie on yeah a lot of people tell me they have dogs in their bedroom and stuff you might be one of those people i'm just trying to remember but, uh, <laughs> well i got in one night um intoxicated and it was freezing cold. This is in Birmingham, yeah. Yeah, and Shep was trembling, physically trembling with the cold in the kitchen. So um, one can be very uh, compassionate when drunk. So I, I took him to bed with me. And I got, this was pre-duvet, which is a great way, I think, to mark <laughs> the eras. Pre this is eider down. So yeah. I had like, eider down and then blankets and yeah. things. So I put it, I got under the blanket. I didn't want him next to my flesh. So I put him under the eider down on top. When I woke up in the morning, obviously with a terrible hangover, I rolled over and there was a, there was a big lump of white 
stuff right next to the pillar, like a cloud had fallen from the sky. And then I saw another piece, and then I realised that he had, he had basically scratched an enormous hole in the either there and spread this stuff. So I leapt out of bed in yeah. a rage and felt, um, felt warmth at the sole of my foot. And he'd pooed at the side of the bed. And the way I'd stepped on it, it had come through each gap between the toes. Oh, no. Like when you see the hair forming on a Play-Doh fun factory, it had oozed <laughs> upwards like that. And uh, I remember my mum saying, well, that's your fault, you know, they're not supposed to be in the bed. So I wasn't allowed to, to punish him in any way. Do people still you rub their noses in it? That. Is that, is that a, no, I don't. I think that's considered to be is that, that's gone, a bit cruel. It? Yeah. Ah, oh, it's all gone. All the old ways. <laughs> all the cruelty's gone now. Yeah, exactly. That's why I don't want one anymore. <laughs> yeah, Appreciate I don't them. want. I don't want to take me to court. <laughs> I'll never be cruel to a dog, but it was the standard method for dog weed on the floor. You would literally rub his nose in it to yeah. teach him about it. So I want to. Um, talk to you a bit about when you were growing up as well because again I feel like I have quite a vivid sense of your parents and your dad just because I, I think about your dad he's called John wasn't he and he worked was he a, he worked in a factory yeah he worked in yeah various factories but I think of him as this very sort of quite powerful impressive person well he was much more male than I am certainly Really? Yeah, he was much uh, further down the testosterone queue than I was. And I, 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 I think he was sort of okay with that, but I think he'd have liked me to have been... Like, our Terry was a bit more like him. That's my oldest brother. was a bit more macho. Yeah. Even when he was 60, he came in with his hand all swollen. And I said, what's happened? And he said... A guy asked me the time, so I hit him and knocked him over a garden wall. I said, hold on, I've, 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 we've turned two pages of the script here. What, what happened in between? He said, when we used to work in the pit, uh, on your way to work in the morning, they used to take your snap. Your snap was your breakfast. Oh, OK. And people were so poor, they would stop people, ask them the time. He said, and then when you look at Hang on, Frank, your, the ranger's saying hello. Okay. Yeah, great. With what we've done yeah, it looks lovely, actually. You've done a good job. No, no complaints yet. No complaints, but you know, it is Hampstead. See you later. See ya. Why oh, does the ranger want your. That was the park ranger. That was the Heath Ranger. The, the Heath, Heath Ranger. ranger. Yeah. yeah, they changed some fencing at the end of our road. So if you live in North London, what means that about seven or eight residents have a meeting with the ranger and he has to explain to them what's going to happen and we have to be okay about it? I love that. That was very Downton Abbey. Yes, it was. It was the way you came up and go, your lordship? Yes. Are you happy and, and Can you have a look at that fence <laughs> out on the lower meadow? I feel like this is your land. <laughs> we'd Rather tantalisingly, we left it where your dad had just knocked someone out because they'd asked him the time. So he thought the idea was that when he looked at his watch, they would then hit him and take his uh, money, it would be nowadays, right. rather than his breakfast. We've got to a bit where we're a, two we're paths diverge what do you in think? a wood. Um, Never ask me directions. I think the path on the right looks prettier because I'm attracted by the blossom. Okay, let's go blossom. Yeah. So, <coughs> yeah, so your dad was... So was he, he funny, your dad? He, I, I thought he was... Uh, 
Yeah, I thought he was very funny. And he, yeah. was, um, he used to sing a lot um, in pubs, not officially, but he, he would just sing a lot. And he'd sing a lot at, at home. And that's something I inherited. I sing all the time around the house and stuff. And only when I'm ill do I not sing. And if I, if I am ill, you know people say, oh, it's when I realise I can eat or stuff like that. It's when I hear myself singing, that's when I know I'm coming out. Yeah, you're okay, yeah. So, and he, um, he's, I think him and, his, um, him and my mother, who were married for, I think, 49 years, argued, to my memory, every day. There was four kids. So there was me and uh, Terry and Keith and Nora. And Nora, so yeah. <clears throat> and you were the youngest, weren't you? I was the yeah. baby. And the whole house was a one enormous shout all the time. Um, um, so, yeah, what's that noise? Oh, that's another... God, there's so that's many That's the uh, Hand of the Baskervilles. So they argued all the time, and the whole family bickered and shouted at each other. The house was, was like that. And it was fine. That, I just grew up with that, and it was fine. But when, he, me and my, when him and my mother had a bad row, very often at the end of it, she'd be like hunched over salt and there'd be a weird pause and then he would start singing to her as a sort of palliative at the end and I, I can remember them having a blazing awful terrible personal remarks row and then it stopped and then they both sat down slightly exhausted and he went if I had my life to live over I would still fall in love once. And she's going, oh, yes, get off me now. And he often did that. So it was a weird, it was like an odd, dark cabaret <laughs> that would end with a song. Yeah, and, and that sounds made up. Honestly, that would be a common occurrence. And he, always, he also used to say to her, as a sort of, it was like he'd throw in a weird moment of, of affection during the hostility. Right. <gash> And, uh, He's really... I don't, that dog so scared another, me. Another dog. It's a bit used there's going to be dogs on Amsterdam. I know, I know, but that was... I didn't, wasn't expecting the Mo Farah dog. Peanut is uh, hanging back. I forgot I'd got Peanut. I know. He, that's Come the on, Ranger's Rob. dog, Frank. You should know that. That's a different Ranger. OK. Um, yeah, so I'm, you were saying... I'm, I'm so sticking with the organ grinder. Yeah. Um, so he would... Uh, he would... There's a thing he used to say to her often, which was... There's only one thing he'd say at the end of an argument, or mid-argument, and he'd say, if you die on a Monday, I want to die on the Tuesday. And he, that was his thing. And it was a weird sort of shot of sentimentality amidst all the aggression. And how would you, what was your mum's response to that? Was she quite a sort of placid... Oh, no, she'd be very dismissive about right. it. She wouldn't join in with that, because it's not, you know, I find this now in my own relationship, that... Um, Blokes can uh, often, I'm, I'm generalising, which yeah. I know is a dangerous business nowadays, but I think blokes can end an argument with the flick of a switch. I get into a, like, we can be in a, in a, having a big row, and, uh, and I'll just say, um, I'll just suddenly think, oh, I don't want to be arguing anymore, so I stop. There's an enormous afterburn with, with Kath, my partner, that could go on for 24 hours. So, but he would... He would suddenly think, oh, I'm going to say something lovely now, and then he'd do that. It's very... Uh, so it's <laughs> that sense of drawing a line under it, and I suppose it's... Although I would say to you as a friend of yours, I mean, we don't... 
I don't know to be row, but we probably had the odd moment of small tension, not many. But I always see you as someone that I think is very good at conflict resolution. So, do you know what I mean? I even if you're angry in the moment... Well, I like detailed analysis as yeah. soon as possible. You go Sometimes very forensic, don't you? Yeah. I think that's a good way of doing it, though. Yeah. So, uh, sometimes mid-row, I will actually say, hold on, we're not arguing about this, we're arguing about blah, blah. And, uh, or I will just break down and say, actually, I think I'm in the wrong here. No, I don't use that one too often. <laughs> and rarely with any real conviction. <laughs> I mean, the, the great irony of it is that thing about if you die on the Monday, I want to die on the Tuesday is my mum uh, died in April and um, he died about 10 months later and to be honest I would say he did die the next day because that mm. robust loud funny colourful and you know volatile man never really reappeared so I watched him crumble over the period of those months he was a very, very keen gardener. I mean, he loved it. And I remember going to the house. Summer had just, so like spring, I suppose, and summer had begun after well, my mum died in the April. And I was talking to him and I looked through the window and realised he hadn't done the garden. The garden was overgrown and unplanted. And I thought, that's it. For well, my dad to do yeah. that. Yeah, it doesn't get more symbolic than that. No, he'd given up. He yeah. didn't want to be there anymore. And God, you, you know, he used to go to my... Oh, I'll see if I can get through this story. Uh, he used to go to my mum's grave every day with a milk bottle full of water and a J-cloth and wipe over the gravestone because they get a bit, you know, muddy and stuff. Every day. And this was, I say, a couple who'd argued every day for <laughs> 50 years. Wow. Anyway. Um, Sorry, it's all. Don't worry, there bit, will be jokes as well. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Piers Morgan's <laughs> real lives or whatever it's called. No more Piers Morgan life stories. Oh yeah, that's it. Um, has he still do that? Anyway, I did, think so. Yeah, but now he's down. Did they to, stop crying? Uh, he's down to like John McCreary. You know, <laughs> you know, it was it was Richard Gere in the first. Early what does John McCreary say? I always remember when the tote <laughs> yeah, exactly. voted against me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when they're going close for the emotional bit, they still have to go in quite wide because of the, uh, the sideburns. And the deer stalker, which mean. he won't take off for the interview. Ah, oh dear. It but, doesn't um, work, emotion in a deer stalker. I think <laughs> Sherlock Holmes established that very early on. Maybe that's why Sherlock Holmes had to be a bit um, reserved. Yeah, exactly. And sort of slightly Sherlock Holmes would have been, a, ironically, for all his intelligence, would have been a rubbish guest. So reticent. <laughs> you can imagine Piers getting a bit edgy with him. Trying to get him to open up. He was, can I say if anyone's listening, it's a fictional character. Yeah, I do he know was. that. I want to talk to you a bit, Frank, about when you... Because, you know, there's Frank 2.0 that I always think of it as, which is your life... You're a bit of a late starter in a way, because you had this life up until 30, and then you had a really radical overhaul. Mm didn't you? In so many ways. Yes. <laughs> Can I just explain what happened then? I just turned around to Frank and he had a pipe. <laughs> but I thought Sherlock Holmes had cropped up. 
I remember I had a pipe in my pocket. But I'm, doing, should... I'm doing a PhD on whether visual comedy works on uh, on radio. I should just say, <laughs> that is one of the most frank things that's ever happened. And it sums him up, which is that he thinks, I've got a laugh in my pocket. Yes. I need to use it. And yeah. this would be a good time. It was lovely, that. Because Holmes has come up. <laughs> so your, your life change, yes. as I call it. That was, I mean, that was three <clears throat> things. That was you gave up alcohol, didn't you? Because yeah, you'd gone down I was, a... uh, When I was 30, um, I remember I got dumped on my 30th birthday by a, a woman half my age, probably. Uh, Ouchie. Yeah, but it was a good thing. Uh, my friend's, uh, my best friend's girlfriend said to me, what's it like to be 13 on the scrap heap? Talking about my life in general. Yeah. But on the lead up to it, um, so about at age 29 and a half, which is not an age you mention that often, I did start to think about becoming 30. I suppose I had a very early midlife crisis. Yeah, like a quarter life crisis, yeah. So, um, that's optimistic, <laughs> mathematically. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I split up with a woman I've been going out with for six and a half years, I think. I um, gave up drinking. I uh, just, things, I started doing sit-ups like everyone is nearly 30. Uh, I started running. I just, it was quite a big life change. And then, finally, having given up drinking, I had hours, so many hours in my life to fill. I then started doing comedy. And that um, changed it absolutely. Oh, there's a Dulux dog approaching. This is not a good match. No, it's all right. I think we're through. Um, I didn't realise taking the dog for a walk was a series of confrontations. It really is. What, dear, it's like walking through the Bronx <laughs> in a ball gown. But there's a lot of encounter. When I took Lee Mack out, he said, yeah, the thing is, I didn't know there'd be so much talking to people. You have to stop yeah. and chat. Yeah, I can imagine Lee yeah. saying that. They told me that uh, the way he puts his friends into different categories is the people you'd invite to your birthday party and the people you'd want to be at your funeral. So he's, he has got quite a clear sense of who's close and who's a bit further away. <laughs> it's like wedding oh. invitations. Go on. Oh yeah. So we need to get back to your your life change. Yes. So yeah. So um, well, a thing happened. I'd begun because I'd been on the, I'd gone to university and stuff, but then I'd left there, and quite deliberately, really, been on the dole for three and a half years. Um, Whereas I, I lived in a bed seat. Is this in Birmingham? Yeah. Still? Yeah. And um, yeah, in Harborn in Birmingham. And I, I shopped at half an hour before the supermarket shut so that you could get all those eat in 20 minutes or it becomes radioactive. And I shopped at, you know, the Oxfam shop. And I lived a very frugal, idle life. And uh, read a lot of books, second-hand books, and was very happy, really. Um, but then I got a job. Someone I met offered me some hours at the College of FE. So I started teaching English. Is that further education? Yeah. Yes, sorry, yeah. And, uh, which I liked. And, uh, and then they offered me a, a year's contract. So I thought that might be my future. Do you have that sense, Frank, of thinking 
the first time you stood on a stage, God, I'm really good at this? Or did no. you? Did the you first, not? The first twice I stood on the stage. I honestly thought, and I'm not exaggerating, the first gig I did, which was a, a charity gig in Birmingham that I hosted, I honestly thought, because there was a couple of comedians who were from the London circuit on the bill, that they would go back and say, we've seen the future of stand-up comedy. I, I honestly <laughs> thought that I would be on, was it Friday Night Live, I think it was called? Yeah. I honestly thought I'd get the call that week, and I'm not joking. I seriously, fundamentally believed that once anyone saw me, that they would think, this bloke is amazing. So I died that night, and the next gig I did went even worse. Um, and then the third one, I stormed it. It went brilliantly. And um, I went back home with a very uh, beautiful woman who looked like a young Shirley MacLaine. Uh, and then I thought, mate, I can do this, I think. About the comedy. Come on, Peanut. Well, Peanut's found a stick now. <laughs> to scale. <laughs> Pe Peanut's Small, got like a tiny, mini stick. Tiny, yeah. tiny stick. That's like oh, the no, sort I've of dropped it now. That's like the oh, footballer's um, man Peanut's bag. Uh, commitment foam. <laughs> I'm starting to think, was it the couple who got rid of Peanut after 24 hours? Or did Peanut walk? <laughs> she had the stick for, I would say, eight seconds before she gave up on it. But, but interestingly, Frank, you know, a lot of people would have given up throwing in the towel at gig one. Because yeah, the I, horror of standing on the Can I say snow. that there is a clause, a Go clause on. in there I haven't explained. There's when I decided I wanted to become a comedian. I'd been to Edinburgh in um, 87. And I'd seen some, my first real stand-up comedy there, including uh, a, a double act called Black and Badil, um, who was David Badil and a guy who I think he was at Cambridge with. But anyway, um, so when I got back from that Edinburgh, before I'd done a second on stage as a stand-up comedian, I booked a room for the following festival. And I had... Um, 450 quid in the bank and the room was 400 quid I think cleared out my life savings such as they were yeah. in this room having never done any stand-up at all so I couldn't really quit otherwise that money would have been wasted I think if I hadn't done that I might well after that certainly the second gig which is nightmarish I might well have um, quit but I, had, I, I wasn't prepared to waste 450 quid so it was a very um, it, that was just, again, just luck, you know. But yeah. then I, I wonder if, you know, even pre-fame and success, I really see that in you, more than probably anyone I know, just that sense of setting yourself goals and that willpower. Because yeah. I know a lot of people say, you know, it's like it's sort of e the easiest person to let down is yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, I'll give up smoking, but if no one's around and is watching, then I'll have one. Whereas I get that sense with you that once you've said you're going to do something, you're absolutely, that's but you it. you know, I didn't have that in my life at all until I started doing comedy. It was, bear in mind, I was 30. I, I'd, I'd been, uh, I'd had a, quite a bad drink problem. I'd gone from job to job. I'd been, I couldn't, you know, get a, a, any kind of relationship together that really was worth anything. And, and then I suddenly found something that not only that I was good at, but that I found really immensely fulfilling. And it was, 
I mean, like no change you could imagine. And what sticks in my mind is driving back from London at about two in the morning on the motorway and physically punching the ceiling of my car, if cars have ceilings, punching like the roof of my car, hard about seven or eight times with utter exhilaration that I'd done a great gig, that I'd found what I wanted to do, that I could do it, that I, all, everything that had gone before, that didn't matter, this was it now. And it was that, you know, that eyes on the prize thing. Yeah. What I, when I think back to, to, to um, pre-comedy me, I think of myself as someone who was almost, you know, Mr. Cellophane in... Uh, oh, the girl wants to oh, stroke somebody peanut. wants to stroke, stroke peanut. That's nice. She's soft, <laughs> isn't she? Lovely. <laughs> Say bye bye now. Say bye, peanut. Bye, peanut. Bye bye. But I, I really love that story because I didn't know that, and I just think there's something really powerful and like quite inspiring about that. Just the idea that you felt I'm completely in the right place for me. You know that sense of totally. I found it. Totally that. And I was writing every day for hours. Uh, you know, I would do, I'd do a gig. People would come up to me. The comedians in London started talking to me as, as I went down there more. I was still living in Birmingham. And they would say to me, but I saw you do a gig two weeks ago. And then I saw you tonight and it's completely different material. And I said, well, yeah. And they said, that's not how it works. You do material and then you keep that set. You might change the odd little thing, but that, that'll last you for a year or two. Some people had the same 20 minutes, I'm not exaggerating, for nine, ten yeah. or more years. I didn't know that. So again, booking the room in Edinburgh and the way I wrote was, was down to ignorance, but ignorance that, that worked out well, you know. I think Peanut needs to... Uh... Peanut defecating. Oh no, it's another corpse. Maybe she wants to get another of those. Um... I brought an armful of luminous markers, um, which I'm putting up for the police. And, along with the pipe? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't I... surprise me if you did have props. <laughs> there you go. There she, you go, She's Pina. had a biscuit and all this. Uh, and I didn't then... know she had biscuits with her. Oh, yeah. I've got the treat on the go. And then tell me about when you met David for Deal. Well, by I mean, then most I people doing... know is, you know, is your long-term comedy partner and yes. dear friend. I was doing a club called Jongles, which was a, a, in Battersea. And um, David Baddiel was on the same bill. And the World Cup was on, and the Republic of Ireland were playing. And they played, David was expressing the, fa the fact that they, he felt they played a sort of Neanderthal style of football. And I said, I thought that's the way to play World Cups to forget about all the finesse and that that's imposed on us by the sparkling Brazilians. Oh, and we had an argument. We had an argument about um, keep really? taking me up hills. This wasn't well, we concert. don't have to, Frank. We can go back. Well, I was there. hoping Peanut would draw me forward <laughs> like, a, like a team of huskies. You think it would be some sort of Game of Thrones experience? I think it's a weird thing that Peanut's ears have blown backwards and stayed back. I know. So the inner They're, pink of yeah. the lobes is exposed. If we get a Tekka sunburnt back to the, yeah. the They can get sunburnt. Yeah, so go on, so you were saying about David. So yeah, he was going on about football. So we had an argument about football. 
It was. I was yeah. kind of impressed that what I would have called a posh bloke mm. knew so much about football. So I came out of it, even though we'd been on opposite sides of the argument, with some respect. And then uh, there was an Amnesty International gig in Nottingham, and I was on the bill. And at the end of it, we'd become, I would say, genuinely close friends from just hanging around for a day. And uh, I remember he called me a dangerous thinker. Anyway, he said, I'll give you a lift to Birmingham. Um, and it was the foggiest day ever. So what should have been an hour on the motorway was about three. And we were driving at like five miles an hour. And every now and again, a wreck would loom out of the, it's like the ancient mariner. A wrecked car would loom out of the shadows of cars that had had accidents in this fog. So we had this three hour chat in very um, macabre surroundings. And um, I don't know, I suppose I fell in love with him on that car journey. Oh, that's so sweet. And I was back in, I, I went, I was, I moved to London and I was living with a woman and we fell out and she threw me out the flat and I found him up and said, can I sleep on your sofa just for a couple of nights till I find somewhere else? And we lived together for seven years. I know, it was amazing. And now, again, without giving too much away, we should say you don't live too far away from each other now no we live in the same road yeah <laughs> yeah i like that it's just the sense of that being such an enduring but i don't friendship. see him as much as you might think for someone yeah. who lives in the same road but when i do see him and he said this to me remember we didn't see each other for about two months and i've said i met him and i said oh we've grown apart dave and he said no we haven't grown apart it's just the same as ever and he was right it was, um, yeah. I could not see him for two months. And it's like he'd gone out of the room to get a cup of tea and come back in again. But I wouldn't say friendship was my specialist subject. I'm actually quite not? bad at it. In what way? Um, I if I found someone up and say, do you want to go and see blah, blah on Tuesday? And they say, I can't, I'm busy. I think, well, that's it then, they don't. <laughs> They don't really want to hang out with me. I'm not going to go through that embarrassment and rejection again. Why do you think you think that? I don't know. I mean, uh, I think my partner's quite worried about me that I'll, if she died, I'd be left desolate and alone. But you know, there's so much sport on television nowadays. <laughs> I think I'd be all right. And I have a child, of But course. is that, that's probably just, yeah, I understand that. It's, look, I think everyone feels that to a degree. You feel slightly stung, it's that, because when you may offer to meet someone, you're making yourself slightly vulnerable. You're saying, I want to see you, I suppose. But I don't think I um, relax into friendship the way you're supposed to. I think I probably see every encounter as a, as a gig. I know, you and I, would say that we were good friends. Yeah. But I mean, how often do we see each other outside of a professional context? Here we are now walking on the heath. <laughs> Having it For recorded. a podcast, and we meet each other every Saturday for a radio show. But how often do we see each other socially? Not very often, really. 
And I think that's true, and I think that probably is... I probably saw more of you socially when we weren't doing the radio show together, because I know I have that Saturday with you. Do you know what I mean? So I know that's kind of a weekly day anyway. But I think you're still someone that I would ring and say a terrible thing's happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can see that. But the sort of, fr- I suppose what I compare it to is the friends I had when I was a youth. Yeah. And we would go around each other's house and we wouldn't have any plans to watch or do it. We would just sit, lie around and just talk for seven or eight hours. Then we'd go home. And I don't have that kind of friendship with anybody anymore because people have got more to do. But then now. I suppose you've got a family as well. Yeah. And but if you, I you know. just turned up at Dave's house and tried to sit there for six hours and talk to him, I mean, he would ease <laughs> me out. I'd go this way. Should we go this way? I don't know where it leads, but it's downhill. There's a void hills. You can always get an Uber. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've just had uh, 10,000 steps come up on my Fitbit. <laughs> That's, that's how long the podcast... If anyone says how long the podcast, 10,000 steps. <laughs> Your life in the last, I guess, 10, 15 years has changed a lot as well, personally, because obviously you and Kath, you know, you've, you've sort of... I don't know when I first met you if I ever predicted that happening for you, if I'm honest. No. Well, it's funny you should say that, because uh, <laughs> Russell Grant did my star chart... <laughs> And he said to me, um, your career will last seven years and you'll never hold down a long-term relationship. Or did he say we'll never hold down a long-term relationship? <laughs> anyway, it was something... Well, I don't want to be in the same Venn diagram as Russell Grant. No. But I think I just thought... I think I just felt really happy for you that this feels kind of like right and it feels... Now that you've got a son and I can see how you're so good with him and you sort of love him so much and you've created this really lovely sort of domestic life. Well, I had to grow my own friend in the end from seed uh, because I was so bad at the normal friendship thing. And he is probably my best friend now. We hang out a lot and he's okay with it. Yeah. And he rarely says, sorry, I can't. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm going to Jimmy Carr's. <laughs> You know what? He's the only person on the planet who I could happily enjoy being funnier than me. <laughs> um, and how did you think... Because you're good at relationships and you're someone who... Am I? Well, I think you're good at giving advice. I think you're good at... Because <clears throat> I think you have quite... Al Mori used to call me, refer to me as O. Suleiman, which is an Eastern oh, yeah. wise man. Which yeah. Which is a weird thing. Well, I think you've got... You often have a lot of insight because that's what you do for a living. You know, it's sort of observing people hold in on, a way. Hold on, pe- peanuts. Frank, you've been so good holding the dog. Yeah. Oh, hold on, peanuts actually really going to do it this time. But you're just someone that I think I remember every bit of advice you've given me just has stuck in my head. Just because some. Goodness. <laughs> no, I'm not saying I've always acted no, on it. No, good. But I'm saying... <laughs> and I remember just things. Like, I remember years ago when we were in Edinburgh and you said to me once... You said, I think... And it's a hard thing to say to a friend. You said, I think you've got to be careful about not becoming stridently single. 
like do you know what i mean being sort yeah. of defensive about it and i think that was i didn't like it when you said that and i was a bit upset at the time yeah but then it took me it's a bit like you were saying, I can't remember, but you mentioned someone, something something had said to you. It was a scrap heap thing you said, the girlfriend yeah. saying on the scrap It's hardly the same. But those are the things that stay in your head. And I think, you know, even at times, whether I'm in a relationship or whether I'm not, it's about a mindset in a way. It's about a sort of not being brittle. Do you know what I mean? And that's something that's really stuck with me. Well, it's, you know, you see so many things plays and stand-up shows that, yeah. that just need a, a second pair of eyes on them. They just need someone to say, you know, that'd work a lot better if you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think you, you see that with people as well. I'm sure people could do it to me. You don't need to do that, why don't you do this? And it's just that. But it's, um, it's a dangerous game, I think. That could have killed our friendship, me saying that to you, for example. I Obviously think it wouldn't because no. it's a professional arrangement. Well, we have a professional arrangement and also I think the reason it wouldn't... We're like Mike and Bernie Winters, <laughs> we hate each other offset. <laughs> no, Can we I don't. say we don't? <laughs> um, but I think probably now I would say to you after the fact or at the time, I think that's because I'm better and I'm more confident with you and just in general at saying, actually, I think I was upset and I don't know why, only because I've had a lot of therapy and I hadn't had any at that point. Does it mean so I, was just, I just internalised it? But would you do it to me? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, here's your chance to do it on yeah. air. You know, so, would you say to me, I wish Frank wouldn't do this or I don't think he should do that or blah, blah, blah. I, I'm going to ask you to come up with an example because yeah. that's what we call in comedy a... Uh, Hospital, hospital past. past. You know what? What if you if you had to single out my main fault? Could you could you tell me what it is? And yeah, be I brutal. Would, okay, I would say sometimes you're quite quick to react, like impetuous. Do you know what I mean? Like you'll 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 make a decision about something and think that is this is so. This is yes. what it is. I can say that. But it, I think it's probably true that yeah. I don't probably play the politics of friendship as well as one could. And I think it's to do, and I don't know if this informs the, way, yeah. the, the comedy or whatever, but if I want to say something and don't say it, I get a slight stomachache, and I mean the <laughs> physical. And I really mean that. And if I've got a, if something is, if someone has said something and then after I think, actually, I don't, I'm not sure what they meant by that. I'm not, I'm not too happy about it. I can't say, well, I'll see them in a couple of days or whatever. I have to phone them up and have the conversation. Otherwise, it will honestly have a f physical effect. But on, not, not a million miles away from gastroenteritis. <laughs> Peanut. This way, Peanut. Peanut, on, Peanut. Peanut didn't know it's a long haul. <laughs> Peanut's actually got thrombosis. <laughs> Walk up and down the aisles. Yeah. On, I'm Peanut. sure Peanut is a slightly shorter animal <laughs> than it was when we set off. Okay, yeah. we are going to try and find is the way back. Is to leave those four <laughs> red lines behind it as it walks? <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I wish I had a... Uh, uh, I wish I had more capacity to not say. Do you? Yeah. 
I think it's almost, I don't know, but I've made a living out of saying things pinged like that I know. off the back of something. And it's great when it's one-liners. Yeah. But when it's something about what someone's life is or something that you're upset about or something like that, it's, uh, it, it's a less efficient system. Um, I think there should be uh, more filtering for those. So do you... Yeah, I, want to, I was asking you before we sort of... I went off on tangent a bit about how, with your relationship. How have you made it work with CAF? How have you got the stability and... I mean, I think the secret of our success is that I give in 98% of the time. <laughs> and if anyone asks me, genuinely asks me, um, about how to make a relationship work, I would say, make up your mind that one of you I'm not talking about being a doormat, but one of you... You know, the French believe there is always a kisser and a kiss. Yeah. I think you need to make up in mind that one of you is going to be the giver-inner. And um, I'm the giver-inner. And uh, I, that seems to work OK. I, I remember a priest once saying, the trouble is with arguing, or a couple arguing, Every time you argue, it's like knocking a nail in a post. And that's mm. fine, but eventually the post will disintegrate. And that's going to be one of those things I remember now. Yeah, well, we've done a lot of damage to our post, right. and me. And the one thing I think we both hold on to is that we, after all that, we kept reuniting. You've changed a lot, I think, since you've had bars. Do you, are you aware of that? Um, I suppose, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's obvious anyone will say that, you know, that having a kid is the, yeah. an enormous change. It's, a, it's an enormous deal that you have to do with the rest of your life, an enormous bargain. But and I, I would, you know, I would have written more and so, created yeah. more and done more gigs um, if I didn't have a kid. I think... Um, that when you think I'm going to have a kid and settle down, then you are saying, so I'm going to give up maybe 20% of what I could have been in my career. Yes, I see that. There's sell, there is sacrifice involved. Yeah. But then I think also, because you're a bit of an inspirational late starter, mm. poster boy for the late starters, Yes. I think that's, in some ways, I think that you did do the responsible thing because you thought, right, had you had a kid, as you were saying, you and Kath sorted out your sort of top line issues and created an environment where you could have a kid and you were both a bit older and I sort of, I mean, there's no right or wrong way, but I just think that's probably... Well, I wasn't pining for, you know, going out every night. Yeah. For a long period, into my, well into my 40s, if I didn't go out every night, I was angst-ridden. Really? That I was missing out on, you know, the event that would have been some fabulous life-changing thing. That was the great thing about doing stand-up. You know, I used to be gigging six, seven nights a week regularly. And it was great. I was just out there all the time. You really feel like you're of the world, you know. But you're really comfortable with fame and being recognised in a way that a lot you know a lot of people say oh I hate it it's a nightmare and I think you've always said you told us on the radio show a really funny story about how you were in a, staying in a hotel you said yeah I like to go down you know I don't do room service because you know I like everyone to see me and yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I mean, that's why I, I, you know, I rarely go abroad because uh, I, I, getting recognised then is difficult. But you know, people say some, <laughs> some like that's why you don't go. <laughs> but you know, some celebrities do say it's dehumanising, and people. Well, say look, it can if people are, uh, you know, I, I, I almost never. I mean, literally, maybe twice, three times in my life have I had any sort of problem with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it because. Um, it's a bit like having friends. <laughs> <laughs> and for the sort of duration that um, suits me. Because <laughs> Buzz will say to me, how come that person knows you? Because someone will yeah, wait you know, from a lorry yeah. will go, oi, Frankie, and all that. And you'll say, how do they know you? And I'll say, I don't know. <laughs> but he's worked it out now. Some friends at school told him I was uh, famous. Oh, really? Yeah. And how does he deal with that? I think he's quite chuffed about it. He said to me, um, there is nobody else in my class whose dad was in Doctor Who. And I thought, well, that's not every kid in North London school can say yeah. that. But yeah. uh, obviously, it's, it's no, a, you've no. got to be careful with that kind of thinking. <laughs> Yeah. But um, I was also quite pleased about it. Yeah. He said, can I have a photo of you in Doctor Who for my bedroom walk? I was down to pronto for a shot. So things like Doctor Who, that presumably, are you, I mean, that was obviously, I know how much that meant to you. Mm. And presumably, are you thinking, that's exciting for Buzz. Is that part of it? And does that make those decisions more special in well, a way? Well, I was filming uh, Doctor Who on Buzz's first birthday. Yes, I remember so that. So I missed his first birthday party. But I thought, you know, he's one. Yeah. Uh, he won't remember anyway. And I, th and I thought I would rather have a dad who was in Doctor Who than a dad who was at my first birthday party. Yeah. And that's proved to be correct. <laughs> I also missed his first step because I was at a screening of Remembrance of the Daleks, which hasn't... I really think he would understand Yeah, that, you'd yeah. think so, wouldn't you? Although I have got it on TV too. <laughs> <laughs> it's I nice seeing it on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> you, so I always dogs. think you... Oh, look at those dogs. There's like so many of them. That's dog soup. Look at that. Yeah. You're, you're very happy, Frank. Can I just explain that for, oh, the, for our readers? Yeah, yes, we should explain. There's, there's about six or seven dogs swimming in one <laughs> pool, and Emily says, that's dog soup. Now, that is a good joke, and I want you to know that that's a good joke. Thank you for the acknowledgement. Um, my biggest champion, Frank. <clears throat> well, I remember when... Um, when Absolute Radio asked me to do a radio show, and I said, well, I don't want right to do it here. on my own, because I need someone to talk to on air. And they said, OK, well, we'll leave you to find someone. And on the walk back, I actually <laughs> found you in the park. And we weren't that. We knew each other, but we weren't super close. Well, I knew you through, we should say, actually, because I never made that clear, but we met through Jonathan Ross yes. and Jane Goldman, because Jane was my childhood best friend. And I remember you and David... You were part of the salon. I was part of the salon, the 90s salon. And I remember you and David would come round and I just thought you were so funny and you seemed so happy 
like I got this sense of you as being just an an incredible sort of sense of positive energy and I thought I did think I really wish he was my friend right <laughs> I do remember thinking that yeah but it's interesting that because I called you up I knew immediately who I wanted to do it and it was two things it was because you're funny but also, and perhaps, if I'm going to be honest, more importantly, yeah. I also thought you made me more funny. Oh, I love that. And the reason I thought that right, yeah. is because you get more of my references than most people. Yeah. And if I'm with someone and I throw in a gag and they don't get it, I kind of think, well, I'm wasting, you know, I don't want to cast my pearls before swine. Yeah. So I sort of closed down a bit. Whereas you encourage me, uh, you egg me on, maybe <laughs> not deliberately. And that, has, that worked well, out. Well, yeah. Yeah, and we've been doing it 10 years now. Yeah, well, it's a joy, isn't it? Well, it's I love it. to talk about this. I know. we're both on the same. This is like watching tennis <laughs> with two people standing on the same side of the net. <laughs> uh, yeah, and well. no one on the other. Although, I do want to say, just to balance out um, strident gate. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're like the equivalent of the ghost of Christmas past, present and future, I think. You are in my life. So you turn up yeah. and you just dispense wisdom and advice <laughs> and love and support. It's true. Obviously, I'd rather be, just, I'd rather be funny. <laughs> if I had to choose between the two, I'd be a, but you are funny. I'd be a monster. But everyone knows, would you? <laughs> Would you, honestly? Oh, I've, I don't know. You know you, what? That's Possibly a really good question, would. Frank. Would Possibly you I would. You'd rather be a funny monster than a kind... Bloke who wasn't funny. Yeah. Would you go monster? Oh, God. Let's hope I never have to make that choice. <laughs> you know my friend... Uh, I say friend. I've seen him once in the last eight years. De Dennis Leary. <laughs> my kind of friend. Dennis Leary phoned me up and... Uh, who's a comedian. <laughs> and film star now. Yeah. And he'd moved to... He's got the cone of shame, that oh, dog. Oh, yeah, what a shame. I'm sorry he's got the cone of shame. What happened? Oh. When he's, when he's running with the other dogs. Running with the other dogs? Yeah, it's all the time you have it. Oh. It's kind of quite a cool accessory, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute, though. How long will it be on? Just today. No? Oh, it's, okay. Normally. Oh, just a one-day-only okay. cone of shame. See ya. Well, I think the R that I gave to that dog's yeah. neck yeah. brace thing shows that I am capable of insincerity. <laughs> what were you genuinely thinking? Oh, I thought ridiculous. My first this thought. This way it says, Frank. Let's go here. My first thought was, if you were throwing snacks to this dog, it's going to be much easier now for him to catch them because <laughs> he's got a cone on his head. I didn't want to say that to that lady. <laughs> no, so Dennis Leary said to me um, <laughs> that everyone he knew was in therapy. And he said, I think it's a dangerous thing for a comedian. Because I said, I think we are wired wrongly. Right. And that's what makes us comedians. He said, and those people go in and they put your wiring correct and then you're not funny anymore. Oh, yeah. And he said, I know people go when they're in distress. He said, but what would you rather be, happy or funny? And I said, funny. And he said, well, exactly. 
So we can go this way. Should we go that way? Okay. Sort of film crew or something. You might if, get a nice You're going to spring this on me. <laughs> that it actually ends with a 40 minutes of standard for my local <laughs> residents. We should say there's like 10 yeah. million people. Oh yeah, this is your road down here, isn't it? Yeah. I'm a little bit anxious. Uh, Why? We've just walked, walked past a tree with a sign on it that yeah. says this dog is lost. And it was definitely a picture of Peanut. <laughs> oh, no. Do you think the dog's lost? What if I'm suddenly dragged dead. to the ground by two uniformed policemen? Waiting outside your house. Oh, yeah. This whole thing was a setup. I've been framed. So, oh, and I wanted to say as well, I loved your um, Johnny Cash thing bank for Sky, which I don't know if when this goes out, I'm sure it will still be on catch up, but. Yeah, it'd be on catch up forever. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought because it was on Sky Arts, which has got the word art in it, yeah. that um, I should make it more than just um, bang, bang, gag, gag. Yeah. But then I read a review <laughs> say, say, talking about Skinner, Skinner's Play for Laughs script. I thought it was a, com it's a com comedy. Frank, don't don't read reviews. You've told me that. You know what? I never used to read reviews, and I've started. Uh, Have you? I've started doing it. I, I think, and I, I'm sure this will be proved wrong. I feel that they they are my recovery time as as um as reduced considerably. Oh really? So when I'm what, upset, from the dart of the review. Yeah, because yeah. there was a time I'd get a review and it would live with me for you know days, weeks if it was a bad one. That's why I stopped reading them. Mm. But now I seem to be... Um, they still upset me, a bad one. But um, I think it's probably just being old and your memory <laughs> can't alter. <laughs> is that success, though, Frank? I mean, is no. it easy? It's not, no. no? because when I was um, red hot was when I was at my most sensitive about those Really? Things. I'm not... Look, I, I, I would be wrong to say I don't care if, um, you know, if people... If I read anything bad, and I'm still wary of it, but mm. I've noticed that it doesn't hurt like it used to, and that's a, that's obviously a good thing. Is that a shift in perspective, which is to do with your kind of personal life changing, or do you think that's a bit obvious? I don't know what it is. I think it's my. Uh, I, I have a, a sort of a strange confidence in my own abilities which is mixed with, you know, your standard performer insecurity. Mm. And I think it's quite often to have that insecurity mixed with a level of self-belief which is almost psychotic. <laughs> Such are the high level of my reviews of myself <laughs> that other people's <laughs> reviews, um, like, they're never as negative about me as I am positive <laughs> about me. And I know that sounds weird, but you know, I... Um, How do you get like that, though? Because that's a bit of a superpower. Because don't you think that's the thing that most people stops them achieving or doing well, what they really want to with their lives, is the sense that they'll be judged or others will think badly of them, or it I, won't be received I well. think it can be... So I had, I had a friend who, uh, who decided he was going to be a comic, so he, went, he said, I'm going to go to Edinburgh and do a few gigs, you know, free gigs. So I went with him, and... Uh, he did this gig, this be a place uh, where it was full of students and mm. it was a very, very tough gig. And he went on 
and completely, I mean, it was awful. And loads of people were rolling up balls of paper and throwing them at him. And when he left the stage, there must have been a hundred balls of paper that had just been bouncing off him for these 10 minutes. And he came back and sat next to me and I didn't say anything. And he yeah. said, uh, that was all right. And I was taken aback and I thought it was a joke at first. And then <laughs> I realised he, he did think it had gone all right. And then I thought, you'll never make it as a comic. Really? Because as a comic, you have to hate that experience so much. Right. And feel those balls of paper as if they were Kung Fu death stars hitting you. Right. Um, that you just never want that to happen again. This is where I used to live with uh, David Baddiel in that very, very top flat. Oh, really? Um, where right John Coleshaw lives there now. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he lives there. It's a nice there. place, right? I don't know if he lives there as me or as David Baddiel. Is he in the top one? All those yeah, that very top one. Bottles in the window. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I said bottle. The decorative. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, I went to his flat. It's very weird going into the I flat. Back to your old flat, yeah. But uh, it's a different. Obviously, it's been called short. The flat. And what does that there. involve? That is that like feng shui? Well, I opened the front door, and there, confronting me on the wall, was an enormous framed signed photograph of the red arrows. <laughs> now, I w that wouldn't have happened in my day. <laughs> it was. A, I don't know why, it's had a real effect on me. Yeah. Why? In a kind of a who? Who? But, um, you know, it's great. It's the idea that you'd go to the trouble of going to the framers and saying, hello. Well, who are the Red Arrows? The whole <laughs> thing about them is their anonymity. They're a bit Stig-esque, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they change the Red Arrows, you wouldn't know, would you? No one goes <laughs> to a Red Arrows gig thinking, oh. Paul Kendricks isn't <laughs> flying. Do they make an announcement? Like at the theatre today. The understudy. Yeah. Are we allowed to say about, are we allowed to mention your Edinburgh play? This will go out just before it, I think. Well, I wrote a play because somebody asked me to. They're not because. Yeah. Somebody, it, it, I find, and this is a weakness in me, that if somebody asks me to do something, then I really, uh, get down to it and it's to do with you know operating on it's to do with that moment when you deliver I delivered it a month early and it's to do with just getting those brownie points it makes me feel good yeah. about myself whereas if you're doing it for yourself you don't get there that's true yeah but yeah there's also that thing that you just throw yourself wholeheartedly if you're doing something you're just you're not a half mass type of person yeah, so I really, really enjoyed uh, doing it. I Did you? Say. But you're not going to act in it. I'm not in it. No, it's it's, it's young people in it. Are you going to be sitting in the front row with the glasses? And I'm going to stand at the back with a walking <laughs> stick, like those um, those old ballet masters in the Dagar paintings, <laughs> watching and giving. Uh, giving no, work. I see you more of an Arthur Miller with a black polo neck. Oh yeah, right. That's what Frank. We're about. getting near your home now. Yes. And I think this has been. My favourite ever walk. Don't put that in. You'll alienate. Well, what about David Baddiel? Well, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay, I I'll won't. See what I would say about this yeah. um, podcast is I, I was once skipping, and I was skipping for about 10 minutes. It's a fitness thing I had. 
And I thought it suddenly occurred to me, do I actually need the skipping rope? I could just jump up and down for 10 minutes and it'd be exactly the same. I'm slightly feeling that about peanut. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that and do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.